Uh, my name's Ken. I'm the campus pastor here. I've been away uh, for four weeks on sabbatical. This is like our pastoral off-season uh, to reload, get better, and come back. Uh, so excited for the future, and so I'm really, really glad to be here. And this on the screen behind me uh, is Ellie. Ellie is our middle kid. Uh, she's our second attempt at doing it right. I mean, second kid. And, uh, and we found out, obviously, at some point, we found out that Anna was pregnant with all three of our kids. Uh, but the, the Ellie's moment was one that kind of sticks with me in a painful and sad and really exciting way. Uh, because Eden, our first, you know, version 1.0, was a horrible baby. Like, she knows this, she will admit to this, she will not shy away from it. Like, we have told her many times, you were horrible because she didn't eat, she didn't sleep, she didn't stop crying, and as first-time parents, and if you're a first-time parent, like, you totally understand this, we had no clue what we were doing. So in that no clue, that absence of knowledge, the vacuum of what the heck do we do with this tiny little kid, God gave us the unhappy baby. And so uh, as often was the case, I came home from work one day uh, and Anna was nursing Eden on the couch because when you don't eat, like you nurse all the time. Uh, and she said, hey, I went shopping today. I got some new clothes for Eden. They're in her room. You should go check them out. And so I walked in the room and there draped over the crib, which Eden had just started using, was a shirt that said Big Sister. Oh, God. Like, I knew how this happens, but I didn't know that this is what was going to happen. And so I walked back out to the living room, and it was often the case. Uh, Anna was sitting there crying, and Eden was also crying, because that's how we did that year of our life. Uh, and eight months later... <clears throat> Uh, Ellie, the anti-Eden, was born. And, and out of uh, the, our experience of babies that never like to sleep and only cry, we got Ellie. And she has been totally different from Eden from day one uh, and continues to be. And today we're talking about parenting. We're talking about the role that all of us, I'm going to get to that in a little bit, all of us play as parents in the church. Because Jesus loves kids. Jesus talks about this. One of the reasons that as, as humans we are drawn towards the helplessness and the, and the beauty and the simplicity and the fun and the joy of kids is because Jesus is drawn to it also. Like you could be totally new to church and totally new to this God thing or totally on the outside just saying I'm only here because somebody bribed me to come uh, and I'm expecting a really nice lunch afterwards because I went to your church today. There's something in us that's already pulled towards kids. I was thinking about, thinking about that this week, like the Michelin tire ads. What do they put in the middle of the tire to make it look safe and make it be something that you can trust? They put a 40-year-old dude with a wife beater on and hairy chest. No, that's not what they put inside the pictures. They put babies. Because babies draw us to them and like, with this idea of I want to protect you, I want to take care of you, I want to help you. And with that, Jesus gives us those feelings. It's something that God built into all of us. And Jesus talks about kids. One day he's, he's teaching and there's a group of kids uh, who get kind of shoved into Jesus' presence by their parents. Uh, and, and the disciples are freaking out. They're kind of like me. They want everything to look good. They want everything to be orderly and taken care of. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 don't even worry about this. This is a good thing that kids are here. And he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Jesus sees kids as a blessing. Jesus elevates kids in their community and in the, because of the way that they understand God. And he highlights the great things about kids. In this room, there's, there's probably a lot of heartache around kids. Maybe you and, you and your spouse, you haven't been able to get pregnant yet. Or maybe your kids are a distant memory 
uh, and there's a lot of heartache involved in your relationship with them and, and the way that stuff worked. But, but God wants to redeem those feelings, wants to redeem that hurt, wants to make that right again. Because there's good things about kids. There's the joy that they have. There's the desire for relationship. Like every kid is a people person because they see grown-ups, they see adults, they see other kids, and, and they want relationship. As we grow older, sometimes our hearts get hard and wounded, and like we no longer like people, but kids aren't that way. They love other people. They always want to talk to you. If they get hurt, they don't say, I'm just going to rub dirt on it. I'm going to be fine. They run to you wanting, to, wanting help. And God put that in us. He put that desire in us. And so in the church, everyone in the parent, or every, everyone is a parent in the church. The church is God's representation in the world. God says you should be able to look at the church to figure out what I am like. And so within the church, within us, all of us are parents. Because all of us have the co-responsibility of raising up a generation of kids to love and follow Jesus. And so even if you're absolutely not a kid person, first off, how did you end up here? Uh, because we're 30% kids, which means if we're about 200 on a good Sunday, that means we have 60 kids running around. Think about that in your backyard. 60 kids. Thank goodness they don't all live with you. Uh, but but for us, like, we're, we're 30% kids, so that means we got 60 kids. That means there's a lot of responsibility that goes all the way around to raise kids to know and love and follow Jesus. Because Jesus loved kids. Jesus welcomes kids. And even if you're absolutely not a kid person, kids show us how much God loves you. Okay, Micah right now, my, my uh, five-year-old, he's in a 100% roller coaster stage. So every, like thoughts just come into his head about how he can make whatever situation into a roller coaster. All he wants to talk about all day is roller coasters and whether or not he's tall enough to go on whatever roller coaster wherever. He's got roller coaster on the brain. And so for us, when we have things in our life that are sitting on our brain that we can't stop thinking about and we go to talk to God about it, God's not like, oh my gosh, another roller coaster story. It's like, what's going on? My son, my daughter, how can I listen to you? How can I help you? How can I provide in your life? How can I show you my love for you? The way kids are, the way kids are hungry for relationships shows us the way that God looks at us whether or not we're kid people. So whether you decide, whether or not you define yourself as a kid person, you already are because children are a blessing from God that we get to manage temporarily. It's a blessing from God that we get to manage temporarily. That's the language in the New Testament and in the Old Testament that children are a blessing given to people. And in our culture, in our society, kids are seen in so many different ways as something that limits us. It limits our freedom. It limits uh, our upward mobility in our career. It limits the things we can do in life. And not all limits are bad. Because if we get stuck with kids, the, the, society, the society perception is that we're in, immediately going to be sentenced to this minivan lifestyle that we'll never be able to escape from and never recover from. We've got a minivan. Uh, we've spent a lot of the last four weeks driving all over California and into Oregon. Uh, we've done a lot of driving in the last four weeks, and a lot has happened in the last four weeks. For example, four weeks ago, Kevin Durant was on the Warriors with two good legs. Neither of those things are true anymore. But for us, we've spent a lot of time driving everywhere, uh, taking the kids up to Oregon to visit my grandparents, and then down to SoCal and down to the beach and all that stuff. And uh, at one point, uh, my parents, they really like to take 
uh, their grandkids for a little bit. They got two boys and they got four girls. And so it was my job a few weeks ago to take Micah and my nephew to meet my parents in Bakersfield. Uh, they would take the kids for a few days and give them a boy time and everything would be awesome. And I'd drive back. And so I got in my minivan because, you know, if you have kids, you're going to have to get the minivan and all that stuff. Um, and I drive down there. And I've got a special relationship with Micah. Micah was the kid that we didn't expect to have. We expected to, to do our third a different route, and then God said, you're going to have that third kid organically. Uh, and, and so, boom, we got Micah. And from day one, my relationship with him has been like, all right, we're in this together. You're going to make dumb decisions. I've made a lot of them. I'm going to try to steer you away from the bad ones, but we're in this together. Whereas the girls, it was like, I'm your dad. I'm going to protect you from everything. Micah, it's like, put a helmet on. Life is hard. So... I drive down there with my crazy son who never, ever stopped talking the whole hundred miles to Bakersfield. And my parents get to the, to the meetup spot, and I put him in the car, and I watch him drive away. And I get back into the van, alone, silent. No one interrupt me. I drive back up to my house. I walk in. It's quiet. It's clean. I think about my son, and I'm like, these next few days are going to be so easy because he's gone and there's nobody to crazy like make insane the house or anything but you know what they do along with this blessing to manage and take care of temporarily is it pushes us to jesus because there's so many things about kids that we cannot control but we know the one who can and we know that that's god and this pushes us to the cross. This pushes us to the moment where God expresses his perfect love for you and for me. And the cross shows us that success in parenting means self-sacrifice. For us as Christians, to love and follow Jesus means that we embrace and we, we worship what God did for us on the cross. We worship God's character of self-sacrifice to come into the world to make right what you and I have made wrong and on the cross, we see a picture of God the Father sacrificing himself for the churches, for us, for his children's salvation, not just their happiness. God doing what we could not do for ourselves. God sacrificing his very own life so that we could have life with him. And that's the story of what it is to be a Christian for all of us, is that God created each and every one of us. From the very beginning, he created us out of love. He saw everything that we were going to do in life, every bad decision that you and I were going to make, and he said, I love them anyways. And the things that we did are not going to cause that love to go up or cause that love to go down. We flat out always are, always have been loved. And within that love, there is an accurate love that God has for us. Where God looks at us and sees the ways that we push him away and things that are called sin, where we say, I'm going to do life my way. And what that sin does is it creates separation between us and God. And what Jesus did that was so foundational was well, he came to live in our place to do the perfect life that you and I could never do and exchange his perfect life and perfect relationship with God for our sinful life and lack of relationship with God. So that when God looks at you and me, and we say, I receive your forgiveness for me, I receive the work that you did on the cross on my behalf, I receive that. God no longer looks at you and me as sinners. God looks at you and me as sons and daughters that he paid for with joy. And the cross shows us that. The cross shows us that, that success, that glory, that, that honor in life comes through the road of self-sacrifice. That Jesus receives glory in the cross. That God receives glory in the cross. And it wasn't because he flexed his muscles there, but it's because he took a road of self-sacrifice for us. That was where God made us his own, and he's making us his own continuously, just like any parent would. 
My kids weren't born perfect. My kids were born with the ability to say no and mine, or they, they gained that over time. And so as a parent, we're trying to root them out of that selfishness and make them more into the people that God created them to be. And God looks at you and me in the same way. We came into this world selfish and self-centered and all these things about us, 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 us. And God says, no, no, I want to work that out of you. I want to give you my heart to worship me and to serve other people. He made us his own and he's making us his own. And he's saying that self-sacrifice is the way to bring us into the family and then to work that through us to show God and show our world that we are people who look like our heavenly father. Hebrews 12.5 is, is where we're going to be for a little bit. And this gives us the picture of, wh of what our goal should be as parents and as a church that co-parents uh, the kids in our church to raise kids uh, to love and follow Jesus. Right before this, the, the author is talking about uh, what it is to follow Jesus in, in a community. Is that since everyone else, uh, since so many other people have done so many amazing things, what's our role in this? is isn't just to sit on the sidelines and say, wow, everybody else is awesome. I'm horrible. I'm never going to do anything in life. But instead, it's to throw off the sin that entangles us and to run after Jesus, who receives all glory and honor forever. And then he talks about taking that attitude into parenting. Verse 5, he says, Have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? For the record, this was written before Walmart was invented. Okay, so we can look at this passage, having been to Walmart and seeing the kids there, and we say, who has ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? Walmart, that's who. Next verse. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers and mothers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they know how. That's a good verse for us as parents. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Man, just as the cross changes everything about, about our lives, cross-focused parenting looks at everything we do as parents differently. Because our goal is to emulate God, to have the same heart that God has, where we look at our children who need help and say, okay, what's the road that I can sacrifice, not just to make them happy, not just to get them a college scholarship, not just to get them on the, the starting rotation of the travel team, but to actually make, give them a relationship with Jesus. Raise them in a way where they're going to follow Jesus long after we are done dragging them to church. That in them is going to grow a desire to love and follow Jesus in everything. And that requires discipline. It requires gentle discipline on us as parents. Because we all become exactly who we are through discipline. All rules exist for a reason. We were camping uh, part of the time that, that I was away getting better. Uh, not getting better, getting, yeah, better at, at the job and, and researching a bunch of stuff and reading a bunch of books and stuff. Uh, and all rules are made for a reason. And where we were at one of the campgrounds, our stay got shortened, our campsite got moved and all that stuff because there was a ton of flooding. Thank God it's actually raining in California. Uh, but we saw a picture that I thought was really, really funny. Uh, 
it's going to come up right now. Awesome. That sign says no camping past this point. I don't know who could camp there, but they still needed to make it a rule because somebody at some point decided, I'm going to pitch my tent in there and it's going to be awesome to the point where they needed to make a rule. That guy is my hero for the record because if he could make it work, that's amazing. I definitely could not. But for us as, as parents, we have the desire, we have the authority, we've got the blessing of disciplining our kids gently to become sons and daughters of God who love Jesus and follow Jesus. I love it what he says in verse 10. That God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Man, I look at my kids, I look at Eden, I look at Ellie, I look at Micah, and I pray that as, I, as Anna and I work together to, to mold them and to create them to be the men and women God created them to be, that they're going to grow up to share in God's holiness. Man, my holiness is lacking, my holiness is limited, and I pray that they pass me up. And it's going to take a lot more than prayer to get there. It's actually going to take discipline from us as parents. So how do we live this out as, as, as moms and dads and as church moms and dads? How do we do this? How do, how do we pull this out of our kids and live this type of way uh, that's going to have an impact in their life? The first thing is you recognize that this road requires wisdom, patience, and a willingness to be uncool. Wisdom, patience, and a willingness to be uncool. I picked up my daughter from kindergarten a long time ago, uh, and it was Ellie, uh, and the way I would do it is I would park far away so that I wouldn't have to wait in line or anything, and then I would take her, and I'd just put her on my shoulders, put her backpack on my back, and we'd walk to the car much quickly together uh, than, we, than we could just like me holding her hand and stuff. So we're walking out, and I, we don't have any introverted kids. We've got five extroverts in our family, which means that the house is always loud. Uh, and so I'm carrying Ellie out, and she's acting like a celebrity on the red carpet. She's saying hi to all of her friends very loudly, very far away. And it struck me at that moment that Ellie has all the friends that she needs. Therefore, I do not need to worry about being her friend. She's got a million friends. She has two parents. And I'm not going to half that responsibility and give it all to Anna. For our kids to grow up and follow Jesus, they do not need another friend. They need a parent. Which means that there are going to be times where you have to say things like my parents did and anyone who was raised up to follow Jesus or anyone who was raised in any way. Your parents said things that you did not like and you got over it and now you're here today. We can't raise our kids hoping to be their friend and hoping that something good is going to come of it. We have to recognize this and desire that we're going to love our kids and do what's best for them even when they don't like it. Next thing is, is we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means we model how to love God. My kids know that when they come down in the morning, uh, hopefully dressed and ready for school, uh, I'm there at the table drinking my coffee, which is my parental performance-enhancing drug because it gives me energy to keep up with them, uh, and I'm reading my Bible and I'm doing my shaping. That's how it is in our family. If I'm home, they know that they're coming down to see dad at the table with coffee and doing a shape journal because I'm going to model to them how to love God. Uh, Ellie, the, the nine and a half year old, we were in Oregon at my grandparents' church and I told them like, there's not a lot of kids at this church. You're probably going to have to sit with us during service. That's just the way it is. And, and she said the greatest thing. She said, is the pastor going to be fun and like entertaining like you? I'm like, here's a hundred dollars. Just, just, that's good. That's awesome. Because she understands that church is something that's supposed to be fun, that opening God's word and explaining it to, to God's people is a good thing. And fortunately, she had a coloring book to distract her through the whole service, which was great. 
But it's, it's something that we model to our kids. The second thing is we worship God, is we, we pull our kids in in our joy and our, excite, in, in our excitement for following Jesus. This is the type of thing that doesn't just stay inside of you and you let your kids figure it out. This pours out of you every way possible to bring your kids along with you as you follow Jesus. There's a saying that we use among staff here at Mountain View Sunnyside, that if the joy of the Lord is in your heart, you should notify your face, okay? Because if you're up here or you're up on video, you should act like you want to be there. And for you, if the joy of the Lord is in your heart, you should notify your family. Because as we worship God, as we present, following Jesus is something that, that actually brings joy to us. It gives our kids a reason to start doing it. Next thing is, is we teach them what God says about the stuff that they deal with. We teach them what God says about the stuff that they deal with. Uh, Anna and I are definitely not Zamboni parents. Those are the parents that run in front of their kids and make everything totally smooth for them to go. You know Zamboni on the ice rink that makes the ice all totally good and stuff? They can, we have a Canadian here, so I have to talk about ice. Uh, that's good. All right. But that's not us as parents. Sometimes our kids have to go through tough things. We don't, like, set them up for them. Like, hey, this is really going to hurt. Go get them. Uh, but, but we... We're not going to be totally quick to remove obstacles that are going to cause them to grow. Some of that is because that's not how we were raised. Uh, there's an exit in my hometown where, you know, like you drive by something and you're immediately like brought back to a memory that you have. Uh, there's an exit in Simi where I grew up that like I drive by that and you know what runs through my head is uh, wet baseball pants. Not because I decided to do something horrible with my system, but because there were so many times growing up I'd be on my way to a baseball game or think, hey, I've got a baseball game in like 45 minutes and my uniform is still dirty so that I could prove to my parents I actually played. You know, I slid around and got dirty and stuff. And mom's like, okay, I'll wash it, but I can't dry it. So that's on you. So I'd go to games with wet pants, uh, which is uh, really, really uncomfortable and it kind of sticks in your head. But my parents weren't going to like smooth everything out and make it all great. It's like, you, you earned that one, buddy. Uh, laundry with me is something that I, I've got a great relationship with because it's a really long relationship. When I was nine, my mom would do my laundry, fold it up, put it in my basket, and put it in my room. And then two weeks in a row, I'd just take all my dirty clothes and stick them on top of the clean clothes and then push the basket out into the hallway with the dirties on top and the cleans underneath. And after I did that twice, she's like, great, you're doing your laundry now. Because they're not going to Zamboni parent me. And sometimes when you do dumb things, there are consequences that happen. Like a nine-year-old who can't reach the soap uh, but learns to do his own laundry. And for us as parents, that, that's what it takes sometimes. We teach them what God says about stuff that they deal with, even when it's difficult. In our world, there are things that we need to know about relationships, and we need to know specifically about sexuality. Uh, and for my girls, uh, they grew up at a really young age in this area because they, things that were happening around our family, uh, we, we explained to them at a very early age that, that boys grew up to marry girls and girls grew up to marry boys uh, because of some things that were happening around us that we needed to speak into. Our girls got that relationship talk really, really easily because really early because we wanted it coming from them. We wanted it for them to come from us, not from culture, not from society, but from us as mom and dads. And so we've been really quick uh, to pause life sometimes and say, okay, this is what God says about relationships. This is what God says about modesty. This is what God says about sexuality without using that word yet, but still giving them a framework of this is what it is to follow Jesus. Micah loves Star Wars uh, because he's five and a boy, and I think that all just goes together. Uh, but he hasn't seen the beginning of Return of Jedi, of Jedi because of the bikini scene. I'm like, he's five. 
He will probably see crap like that eventually, uh, but I'm not going to let it happen when he's five. Uh, so he knows that, you know, son, we don't watch the beginning of Return of the Jedi because Princess Leia isn't wearing enough clothes. So uh, we're watching Star Wars on YouTube a while ago, and I do the good dad thing and fall asleep, uh, and Micah wakes me up. He's like, Dad, we're going to watch another scene, and don't worry, Princess Leia is wearing enough clothes. We need to do this because a while ago he's looking at shoes with Anna at Walmart and for whatever reason shoes is right next to the bra section and Micah sees the, the section and he's like, Mom, the lady's on the picture, she's naked. We should go look at her. <laughs> no, no. So because of the world we live in, we, we need to explain early and often what modesty is and what it is to, to stand for Jesus in that and what it is to guard your eyes. And so if we're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're also going to love our neighbors. we love ourselves. One of the great things that we can do is help kids navigate school, help kids navigate relationships. We have a lot of conversations with the girls about how to deal with the drama, and you don't just kind of tell them off and write it off and, and storm off. And you speak into the situation. You try to bring life. You try to bring peace. You try to bring restoration. There have been a lot of times where I've locked my girls uh, into the apprentice room because often we have apprentices living with us and they're just locked in there until they figure out how to be nice to each other. Not just going to separate them. You go, you're, no, we're going to push them together and say you need to figure out how to be nice to each other, how to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's the relationship room. Uh, and I tell them you can't come out until you get stuff right. Uh, another thing is, is with violence. Mike is a boy. He hits. And so when he hit Hannah and Jay's son a little while ago in kids' church, we had a talking. Uh, and Micah had to go and apologize through the tears to Josh, had to, apologize, had to apologize to Jay, who Micah has started calling Jay father-in-law because I've said this is going to be a good thing in a few years. And then he got punished in the hallway. Like, we're teaching him, you don't do these things. You need to love your neighbors. you love yourself. And also in service. We're modeling for our kids, especially the Summer Spectacular coming up. You want an easy way to pour into the life of your kids, you can sign up for Summer Spectacular as you head out today, or you can do it on the app. Uh, it's going to be five nights of us teaching kids in our community, in our church community, in our geographical community, about what it is to love and follow Jesus. Our kids were at church for a long time yesterday, getting stuff ready, at the building a long time yesterday, getting stuff ready, because it's good to serve, and we want to model that for our kids. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of things. And now I'm going to make it worse. Because actual godly parenting would force us to admit our need for the Holy Spirit. This is what exposes our loss. This is what exposes our shortcoming. That you and I, on our own, cannot, will not, and never will be the parents that God intends us to be. And that is good. What the, the writers of the New Testament, the people who saw Jesus do the amazing things and then wrote about how this inspires and impacts our life, they say that as a Christian parent, these are the things that should be flowing through you. Whether you're a parent biologically or whether you're a parent in the church, what should flow out of you is love. That's a stretch for some of us, but for some of us it comes naturally. Joy, that's a little bit tougher. Peace, really tough sometimes. Patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and to top it all off, Self-control, that's where God meets us as, as sons and daughters who he equips to be parents in the church. He says, this is what should be flowing out of your life. So where it's not, the good news, the blessing of Jesus is where he says, come to me, everyone who is weak cannot do these things, and I will give you rest. 
There is hope in that. There is an invitation from Jesus for all of us that where we are lacking, where we are weak, where we are deficient, we have a Savior who doesn't just want to forgive us of our sins and give us a band-aid to get us through today, but actually wants to move into our lives and reshape the way we do everything, parenting included. He says, where you're weak, that's where I can make you strong. Not just on your own strength, but on my strength, living through you. So as parents, I want us to think about that. Where do we need God to give us the ability that we lack? Let me read that list again. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We worship a God who does two things. He wants to point out where we need him. He wants to make it obvious, not just pretend that, oh, you know what, you're fine. Even though you screamed at your kids this morning, everything's fine. But to say, okay, that happened. And now let's go back, let's fix that. And let me give you the power to live that out in a new way. Let me give you the power to raise young boys and girls to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, to model Jesus in their tiny pint-sized lives as they grow up. And to leave you so far in the dust spiritually that it brings glory to Jesus. Let's stand and pray.